Hey everyone, it's Pastor Brandon here, and I'm so excited to do the intro for this new series I'm going to be doing. It's going to be 14 weeks, and each week we're going to discuss one of the 14 declarations of faith of the Church of God denomination. Because we here at North Point, we're a part of the Church of God denomination, and it's a great thing, and we have great theology and great beliefs that we really subscribe to, and as a body, I think it's important to know what we're a part of. So I just want to break down these 14 declarations of faith, these pillars of beliefs we as a denomination have, theology that we believe, and so these next 14 weeks, I'm really excited to break them down with you, and this is episode 13, so let's jump right on into it. Hello and welcome back to the podcast, the What We Believe, where we just take down or break apart our 14 declarations of faith. It's been so exciting to be able to do this with you guys. I can't believe that it's week 13. We've already gone through 12 weeks of this. It's been so amazing and I thank you so much for everyone who's stuck around and tuned in. It's been really fun and today we have a heavy one. Today I would say it's the one I've been the most nervous about. Um, It's the most intangible. It's the most, um, I'd say, almost complex one, and it's about eschatology. It's about what we in the denomination of Church of God believe when it comes to the end times. Now, I know this isn't a salvific thing, but it's very important how we view the book of Revelation and the prophecies in Daniel 7, and when Jesus was talking in the book of Matthew about the end times, how we interpret those is important. Our hermeneutics on the situation is important because we can't just say, oh, Jesus didn't mean that, or this part isn't to take literal, but the other parts are, because that just breaks down and breaks apart our whole view of the Bible. It's either all real or it all isn't. So this this may not be a salvific issue, but this is an important one, and this is one that I think trips up a lot of people, and it's one that takes a lot of complexities, and it's just it's a tough one, so we're going to kind of graze the surface in this 20-minute thing we're doing. Um, I'm going to give you all the information I can, and I pray that you just dive in and and pick it apart for yourself. And know that whatever you believe, I love you, but I'm trying to help you here. And I hope that you'll listen to me, and I hope that you can partner with us in the Church of God in our belief of this, because to me, this is the best belief when it comes to eschatology, when it comes to the end times and the book of Revelation. So, with that out of the way, Declaration 13, it says, We believe in the premillennial second coming of Jesus, first to resurrect the righteous dead and to catch away the living saints to him in the air, second to reign on the earth a thousand years. So this is to deal with the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the thing is, that second coming, it is personal, it's literal, and it's the bodily return of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God to earth physically. As the Son of God, he will reign on earth for a thousand years, and that is the millennium reign. Now, before we get too far, I want to break apart some of the different opinions when it comes to eschatology because there's there's a few camps. There's really four big camps that people tend to fall into. So we have these four beliefs when it comes to eschatology. It's Peterism, Historyism, Futurism, and Idealism. And we fall in Futurism. 
in that we believe the book of Revelation and these prophecies in Daniel and in Matthew in the Bible, they are to happen in the future at the end when Jesus returns. So in our declaration of faith, in this declaration of faith, 13, we refer to the second coming of Christ as that event in which he personally appears, raptures his saints, reigns on earth for a thousand years, judges all mankind, and then finally establishes the eternal kingdom. Now this emphasis on this declaration is Christ coming to receive his saints and to establish the earthly reign or the millennium. The second coming of Christ is his literal and personal return. He's, he's already come as the son of Jesus, and now he returns in this. And it's distinct from the coming of Christ through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because Christ came already through the presence of the Holy Spirit. But this is Jesus distinctly, separately coming back to fulfill the two promises. He first promised his personal return. In the book of John 14, 2-3, it says, There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And then, you know, he separately promised the Holy Spirit. This is him promising his return. And then in the book of John 16, a few chapters later, he promises his coming through the Holy Spirit as in the third Godhead of the Trinity. And in John 16, 7, it says, But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. So it's clear that the coming of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit are not to be understood as the return of the presence of Christ. And sometimes that happens, but it's not to be confused Jesus promised his return through, with the advocate, as the advocate, as the third person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and his return bodily. Now, the return of Christ, I keep on emphasizing this because people often don't believe it, but it is literal. It is a bodily return as his ascension was. So when we look at the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, says, after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him raising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among him, among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. So when we break this down, I mean, gosh, I just love to put myself in the shoes of of the disciples that are seeing this. They are seeing Jesus after he already died on the cross, rose from the dead, came back, had a little bit of time with him, and then he ascends into heaven bodily. He literally goes up, rises up into the heavens. Two angels meet him there, and they say, why are you so sad. Why are you so depressed? That's how I would be, my best friend, you know, my teacher, my my everything, rising back into heaven. And they're staring, and the angels are like, hey, he's coming back the same way that he left, which tells us we can look at this because it shows us the way he left. So obviously, if, if we believe these words to be true, if we believe the Bible to be true, we can know he's coming back bodily. Not spiritually, 
Not as an angel, not as a, a spirit, not as a, a revival, but bodily return. Jesus himself. The ascension of Christ is made the pattern by which we are to expect Jesus' return. He ascended as a body. He will return as a body. He ascended into heaven. He will return from heaven. His ascension was accompanied by angels, and his return will be accompanied by angels. His return to heaven in the ascension was a template on how his return to earth will look. Let's turn again to Hebrews 9.28. It says, So also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Wow, I love all these verses, guys. I love all this talk about Jesus returning. It's so exciting, and it's to bring us salvation. God's already given to us, given salvation to us. So when he returns, we get to physically experience it and see it come forth. I mean, how exciting is it to know that God gave us salvation and we are already saved, but then to experience that salvation, that's, that's the fun part. And I'm so excited for it. And it's so exciting to talk about it. Now, Christ's return, it will be visible to those of faith, and to those of unbelief. For the faithful, Christ's return is the fulfillment of their redemption. Revelation 1.7, it says, He comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him, even those who attributed to his death, or in a spiritual sense, attributed to their unbelief, didn't believe in him. They'll see it too. And Christ's return is the final act in the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan. For the believer, this event provides the glorification of the body, which is our redemption. The glorification of our body is its resurrection. That's when we get to resurrect. And the order of how this event happens, it is clearly stated in the Bible. We look in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-17. It says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will raise, rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Christ's return. It fulfills his conquest of the earth and the establishment of a reign of peace and righteousness on the earth. And like it says, the order of this conquest, it's essential to the reign of peace. And so this doctrine that we believe, this doctrine is called the doctrine of the premillennial second coming of Christ. We in the church of God, we observe that order that is actually described in the Bible. We don't read that and, and then base beliefs on something else. We read that and we say, yeah, we believe what it says. And so we believe that that order is how it will happen. That the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with a big old voice, voice of an angel, triumphantly coming, the trumpet call of God. Then the believers who died, they rise from their graves. Then us with them, who are still alive, we go up into the sky and we meet our God, our Lord, our Jesus 
in the air and there we're with him forever how exciting is that how awesome is that and we just believe what those words say now the first resurrection which is accomplished by the return of jesus it of course occurs before the thousand year reign which is described in the book of revelation and to those who feel the book of revelation is nothing more than maybe symbolism or nothing more than something that already happened this can be hard to understand but the thing is it hasn't already happened it didn't happen in ad 70 and it isn't something for god to say hey read this and enjoy the symbolism this is god's truth this is god's holy ordained word it hasn't happened yet but let's read it revelation 20 4 through 6 then i saw thrones and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge and i saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about jesus and for proclaiming the word of god they had not worshiped the beast or his statue nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. Now, during this reign, the reign, the devil is bound for a thousand years. He will not be able to deceive the nations as he had done through the course of human history, and especially as he will do in the reign of the Antichrist. So Revelation 20, 2-3 says he sees the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked, so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterwards, he must be released for a little while. In his reign, Christ is joined by the saints, who with him rule over the earth during this thousand year period revelation 20 chapter 20 verse 4 says then i saw thrones and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge we get to reign with the lord for these thousand years so we believe in the pre-millennial reign as in jesus comes first we're up in heaven and then we have that a thousand year reign with god with Jesus and that new kingdom is established now I know for some people this may be controversial I know this belief is not what everybody has and I know that I said at the start of this podcast that it's not salvific and I I believe that and what I mean when I say it's not salvific, I mean you can have a different view of eschatology and still have accepted Jesus in your heart and be saved. But here's where it starts getting dangerous. And this is just cautionary words because I love you guys. And it, it comes to play when we start to think, when we read the words of God, 
that, hey, this is just symbolism. This doesn't hold true practical meaning. God wrote this so we could just enjoy the symbolism of it and maybe grant some some little lessons here and there. That's dangerous. It's also dangerous when we read it and say, no, this already happened. 8070 with Nero, you know, there was, there was some little stuff that, that, that seems similar, how he wanted his mark on people. Guess what? That was not the Antichrist. Nero was not the Antichrist. And that belief does not hold water because when we look at this, guys, who are we to say that the words of Daniel, the words of God in the book of Daniel, are different than the words of God in the book of Malachi, in the book of Matthew, in the book of, of Timothy, 1 Timothy, or in the book of Revelation. They are all the holy inspired words of God. And it is dangerous when we decide which words of God we want to count. That's all I'm saying. That's all the prying I'm going to do. Um, I I know this is an intense teaching. I know I went through a lot of verses, a lot of information, and it's okay if you don't fully understand some of this. I'm working through it. Many pastors are working through it. Many people are working through it. But the thing is, and I may sound crazy when I say this, and maybe I'm radical, but I don't like focusing on the end times. I'm not the type of Christian who wants to sit and wait for God to return. Because when we sit and wait, we're not being effective Christians. Guys, we're not spreading the kingdom to every square inch of the world that we can. Our job is the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19, to go out, make disciples, spread the gospel. It's not to sit and wait for the coming of God. Yeah, I'm excited to meet my Savior. I love my God. I love Jesus. I'm really excited to be in heaven. I'm really excited to be raptured up and then to spend time with God, come have that millennial reign, and then see all of this amazing stuff in the book of Revelation happen. But I'm also really amped up about just seeing my next door neighbor get saved, about seeing apartments of people near our church see Jesus. Meet and feel the love of Christ and change their hearts forever and ask God in. We can't just sit and twiddle our thumbs. We can debate eschatology, the end times, all we want to. We are blue in the face. And guess what? None of us are going to know the correct, real answer until it happens. The only answer that I know is that every single Sentence, word, period, punctuation, everything in the Bible is the inspired, holy inspired word of God. It is the holy word from my God, and I believe every single word of it. And that's fact. And all I want to do is spread every single word of it to every single person I encounter. So, in this intense talk about eschatology, about end times, about prophetic stuff, Let's not forget how important the kingdom of God is, guys, and spreading that kingdom is. Because at the end of the day, eschatology is that kingdom returning. Let's let Jesus, let's let God come back to the biggest kingdom we can possibly muster by spreading his word all we can, doing all we can. All right, guys, I'm going to end you with that, and I'm going to pray over you. 
and and your heart and in your situation, whatever you're going through. Lord God, I lift up every single person who listened to this podcast. God, I pray that it touched some people. I pray that it benefited people. And I pray that the hearts who listened were ready to hear it. Thank you so much for every single person who listened, who's been a part of this 14-week journey with me, God. I am so, so thankful. In your mighty, mighty, mighty name, amen. Guys, I cannot believe that this was week 13. We've gone through this 13 weeks already, which means next week is our last episode of this series. I'm, I'm excited and I'm sad all at the same time, but thank you so very much for sticking with me through this time and being a part of this discussion. And that's really what I want it to be. I want it to be discussion, so I want you to take what I said and be able to dissect it and figure it out for yourself. But I pray that you stick with us through to episode 14, where we talk about Declaration 14, which says, We believe in the bodily resurrection, eternal life for the righteous, and eternal punishment for the wicked. It's an awesome one to end on and a very foundational one. So, we'll see you next week for our last episode of What We Believe. Have a great week.